Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open God's Word together. Father, you alone are worthy of praise. It's been a great day gathered as the house of the Lord. We recognize, Holy Spirit, that we need your help in this moment. That as we open your word, our only hope for life and godliness, that you would bring understanding to us, that you would cause us to see wonderful things in your word through the lens that your mercies are new every morning. Most of all today, Father, we're thankful for Jesus in whom we live and breathe and find our worth. We love you, and it's in your strong name that we pray. Amen. The Bible tells a story in the book of John about Lazarus. You ever heard of Lazarus? And um, he was a good friend of Jesus, and really the whole family was, close friends of Jesus. And uh, there came a point in time when Jesus was doing ministry, And he got word from Mary and Martha, who were sisters of Lazarus, and they send word to Jesus and say, you've got to come quick. I mean, how many of you know, if you knew Jesus face to face and he was walking around healing people and you had a problem, you'd be like, Jesus, you got to come quick, right? Show of hands, you would call Jesus in. All right. By the way, you still can. Oh, Jesus juke right there. And, uh. But no, so they send word. Some of you will get that later. So they send word to Jesus and they say, you've got to come quick. Lazarus is dying. And Jesus hurries up and doesn't come. He stays where he is and he's ministering and doing what Jesus did for a couple days. And so finally he begins to make his way to where Lazarus was. And as he's coming up, he, uh, the Bible says that Mary or Martha and the family, they, they come out and they're devastated. They're devastated because Lazarus has died. And who among us couldn't in that moment help but think, just as those women said to Jesus, if you had only come a little bit earlier... If you had only come a little bit earlier. And the Bible says this in John eleven thirty five, shortest verse in the entire Bible. It says that Jesus wept. Picture that scene. He's there with his closest friends, one who has died. And Jesus is moved with compassion for them. And the Bible says that he, he begins to weep. But... In that moment that he began to weep, he steps up to the tomb. The Bible says there's a big stone in front, and he asks for that to be moved, and so they move the stone away. And as that's happening, the ladies say to Jesus, they say, You might not want to do that. <laughs> you might not want to do that. He's been dead in there for four days. And how many of you know technology wasn't the same back in the day as it is now? Four days of a decayed body. And Jesus says, no, no, move the stone. And as that stone was moved away, 
If you know the story, you know Jesus steps up to that empty hole, that darkness, where death was wafting out, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. You know I was going to say that in King James. And what happened? You tell me, what happened? He got up, and he came out, didn't he? Colossians chapter 3 is your story of Lazarus. That when Jesus becomes king in your life, and he moves into your world, and he gives you his grace, but he doesn't give you your glory, his glory, which is good news, by the way. And he begins to take over things. There are some things that happen in your life. And Colossians chapter 3 is going to lay out for you what it looks like for the king to come in and take over. Because kings don't come in and settle for half. Kings don't come in and settle for 80%. Kings don't come in and say, I'm going to take over everything but your finances. <laughs> Kings don't come in and say, I'm going to take over everything but your children. I'm going to come in and take over everything but your marriage. That's not the way it works. I'm going to come in and take over everything but you can keep your job. No, no, no. That's not the way it works. When King Jesus comes in, he takes over. And Colossians chapter 3 is going to lay that out for you, that like Lazarus, there's going to be this moment where you have to come and you have to put some things to death. And, and that's scary sometimes. That's really scary sometimes. Jesus is going to lay out some things for you. And some of you in here today, God's going to convict you. Your Holy Spirit's going to work on your heart and mind. And He's going to ask you to make some changes, to put some things to death. Bible says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So when we open the word of God, he's going to act. And he's going to ask you to put some things to death. And like Mary and Martha, you're going to watch that die. And it's going to be a struggle. I'm just going to be honest with you. In the times when I've had to put some things to death, it's It's hard. But what's beautiful about the gospel is that when you lose your life, Jesus said, you'll find it. That when you put to death, as we're about to read, what is earthly in you, God will raise up new life in you and do some things in your life that you never thought were possible. Ephesians, Paul tells us, beyond all that you could ask or imagine. So here we are, Colossians chapter 3, thinking about... Lazarus and the finality of death, but what's possible in Jesus. And here, here's how Colossians chapter 3 starts. Listen to it. It says, If you have been raised with Christ, we can't go past that until you deal with that. And we've spent three, the better part of four weeks now going through what does it look like to be raised with Christ? What is the counterintuitive nature of the gospel that uh, when every religion in the world would say to you, rise, pull yourself up, do more, try harder. Every religion in the world. But one, and the God of the Bible says, no, I see you. 
where you are and I'm going to come to you. And King Jesus gave up his life willingly and endured the cross for the joy that was set before him so that you could know the Father and be set free. If you've been raised with Christ because you were like Lazarus, you were dead in your sins, the Bible says. But in Christ, you've been made alive. If that has happened to you, I'm going to get some marching orders here. Here's what it says. Here's what the Bible says. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. How many of you know? It's all about Jesus. Always, always, always. You're not going to go anywhere in the Bible where it's not about Jesus. You see, even in this passage where you're going to be tempted to say, I've got to do this, and I've got to put that to death, and I've got to do this. Remember, you're seeking the things above where Jesus is. Not where you are, but where Jesus is. Seated at the right hand of God. How many of you know you're only seated when you're not worried about it? God is able to do what you need Him to do. And because of that, look at verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. How much of your life would change if you could put that into practice? Some of us could get off some medicine. Some of us could get off... I know I'd be a lot easier to live with. Don't you laugh at me. (laughs) Jake's like, amen. And then listen to this. Like Lazarus, verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And when you are raised with Christ, here it comes. And the first thing we're going to do in your notes there that you got on the way in, or if you're on the Version Bible app, you can find it too under events. The first we're going to fill in is I want you to write out these ten things that God in Christ is allowing you, giving you the power to put to death. The Bible uses the strongest language it can. Put to death. Like Mary and Martha rolling their brother into a tomb and putting the big stone in front of it. It's final. Put it to death. What does he say? What is earthly in you? What is earthly in you? And in case we were confused like the Colossians, here's what he says. Put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. You see, the gospel is only good news when you understand what the bad news is. You see, we live in a day and age where the church, a lot of times, is only putting forward what is wonderful and good and calling that God is love, and He is that. But that's only amazing. Grace is only amazing when you understand why it's so amazing that He's offering you that. Because God is holy and God is just. And uh, by the way, you wouldn't want Him to be any other way. Because what do we do when a rapist happens? We say, God will judge that. 
We live in this culture that looks at the, the me too thing and we say, what are we supposed to do with that? What are we to do with that? Some of you have lived in that world where you've been abused, you've been taken advantage of, and you say, what do we do with that? We say, fix your eyes on Jesus because he's going to make all things new one day. And we as the church, we join with him as Jesus prayed that God's kingdom would come on earth just as it is in heaven. And we join him in the renewal of all things. God has an answer for the world's biggest problems. That you can find hope and healing in Christ. But we must put to death what is earthly in us. In Christ. Because the wrath of God is coming. God will judge these things. There's a day when God will judge. Verse 7. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. See, the other side of this too that we have to remember is that, verse 7, in these two we once walked. Or some of us are still walking. The, the church isn't made up of people that are better than those outside, just ones that have found Christ. Jesus is better. We aren't better. And so we're told to put these things to death. And so the first thing I want you to do is right there across the top, put in the heading, ten idols to put to death. Ten idols to put to death. And then I want you to write them all down. Okay? Because there's something important about us naming our sin and repenting to God for it. The Bible says if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But so often we won't write it down and look it in the eye and call it what it is. It's just a lot easier if we just don't think about it or when it happens we say, I'll never do that again. I'm not going to do it again. And we're just, I'm, I'm not doing it. And we feel good in that moment because we're not going to do it. But what happens? We do it. We come back and we do it tomorrow. We come back and we do it next week. But to put it to death, you've never, nobody's ever had an enemy in this life when they haven't seen it, named who it is, confirmed who it is, and then put it to death. That's how you put something to death. You look at it, confirm that it is what it is, and you put it to death. So the first one, sexual immorality. Any kind of illicit sex. God made sex and he says it's really, really, really good. Can I get an amen from the married folk? Amen. Impurity. All the other stuff. For those of you who are like, well, where is that line? I mean, can I do that or can I do that? No. No. You can't. If you've got to ask that question, no. <laughs> Put it to death. Put it to death. And in case that wasn't enough, he says, passion, any misplaced affection, any lust for anything that isn't Jesus or a good gift that's come down from the Father who gives us all. 
James tells us. Number four, evil desires. We hear that stuff and we're like, yeah, evil desires. <laughs> You're like, what is an evil, what is evil desires? Sure, I'm not evil. Yeah, you are. <laughs> what did I say last week? Love you. What is an evil desire? A craving for something that's wrong. We have to call it what God calls it. It's evil. So we're, we're, we a lot of times, we a lot of times in, in my generation and the one coming after me, we're guilty of this, that we don't just call stuff what it is. We want to make excuses or hide behind something. Here's the bottom line. It's evil. Anything that I crave, anything that you crave that is wrong. But what's wrong? You know right from wrong. Like, where do we get off thinking? Like, I never had to tell my kids how to do wrong. I mean, Baylor couldn't speak to me. Baylor's our one-year-old. She couldn't even speak to me. And she went over to the dog bowl and was like, I'm like, don't touch that. <laughs> Baylor, daddy said, don't touch. And instead of touching it again, she went, boom, right in the water. It just went everywhere. The bowl went flying across the room. Like, I never taught her that. You were just evil. Come, you come out evil. <laughs> Rebuke that spirit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe in that theology. In case you were wondering, I didn't rebuke my daughter right there. Come out! No, I'm just kidding. We're born with evil in our heart, the Bible says. Many times in Scripture, we're reminded that the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? You've got to put it to death. Number five, covetousness. Any greed for more. I'm just, I, just, I just want more. I need more. I think a lot of times we think that covetousness is I see Jake's shirt and I'm like, man, I want that shirt. Give me that shirt. Give me that shirt. That, that's not what, don't give me that shirt. <laughs> don't, I don't want that shirt. <laughs> but sometimes we look at covetousness and we're like, that's what that means. That means I'm going to go steal my neighbor's boat. I'm going to hitch it up to my car. I'm going to drive it out of there and I'm going to put it in my garage. Now that's stealing. There's a word for that in the Bible. Okay? Covetousness is just this idea that even when I have plenty, I just need more. Who among us in this room right now doesn't feel that sometimes? Where, where you're sitting in your, in your comfy house or your comfy apartment, or maybe you don't. Now I know some of you in here, you don't have those things even. And you've come to the place where you've looked me in the eye and had to teach me that you have nothing on the street. And yet you, so many of you have told me, I've never been closer to the Lord than when I had nothing. This need for more, we have to put it to death because we can't be generous. What does the Bible say? God loves a cheerful giver. We can't be generous until we've put to death covetousness, until I put to death that I don't need this so that I can give that. You don't get there without Jesus, by the way. Until you are raised to life and seated in heavenly places with Christ, you'll never get there. Money's way too much fun on this earth. But it doesn't satisfy. Fun and satisfaction are very different. To fill the longing inside of you, your soul. Number six, anger. Sometimes we... We think about anger wrongly. Some anger is good. Anger gets some things done. 
This anger, the Greek word, is referring to things that we do that are expressly to punish other people. You know, we could just, there's a million examples. I always choose the car. (laughs) It's my worst. Number seven, wrath. Why does it say anger and then wrath? They're different. One is punishing others. Wrath is just this passionate indignation, this fierceness that's unnecessary in you. Maybe if you're a parent, you're like me. Sometimes the, sometimes the wrath that comes out is not godly wrath. It's not wrath because you offended God. It's wrath because I'm annoyed. Number eight, malice. Another one of the, You know what I love about this? This Greek word literally means naughty. You know what naughty means. You, if you, especially if you have kids, you know what naughty means. Don't be naughty. Listen, you know who's good at being naughty? You and me. We know what naughty is. When you're just not doing things like, like if Jesus rolled in in person, you'd stop doing it. That's naughty. Right? Like I, my, my parents used to say that to me. Would you do that if I was here? Of course not. What do you think I am, stupid? <laughs> right? And I'd be like, no, I wouldn't do that with you here. Then you shouldn't do it when I'm not here. Right? We, we understand these things, but what happens is we get comfortable and we won't look these things in the eye and put them to death. How did executions happen in medieval times? They would take that person, set them in front of a crowd who was confirming that that is the person who did the wrong, and then they would execute them in front of the crowd. Why? Do you ever think about that? It's not just because they were barbarians. They might have been. But it was all, this is confirming, and if you do it, you're going to be up here. And we're going to put you to death, and we're going to confirm that it's you. This is how we must take care of our sin. Jesus went to the cross to give you the power to triumph over your sin. And he tells you to look it in the eye, confirm what it is, and put it to death. Number nine, slander, speaking to injure other people, blasphemy. Did you know that slander actually blasphemes God? That the people around you, the people in this world, whether they look, sound, act, or talk like you, are made in the image of God and they have uh, value because of that. And regardless of where you fall theologically, the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish but that all would come to eternal life. If God has given himself for them, we can give ourselves for them. Slander. And then number 10, obscene talk. Any filthy communication. Why does he give us that list? It's not just for the type A in the room who likes to make a list and check off and put that to death, put that to death, put that to death. Why does he give us this list? Because all of those idols make you feel better. All of those idols, think about those things. When you do them, you, you get a sense of good feeling. It's almost like an opiate where you just, you get that small sense of good feeling, that small sense of fleeting pleasure. But what do we all know? That when we give in to those temptations, when we fall prey to those idols, it never satisfies us. Every single time you come on the other side of that and you wish you wouldn't have done it. 
All these idols make us feel better, but then again, not so much. And in our community, the church, Redeemer City Church, what does the scripture say there? It says we're lying to each other. It says we're lying to each other. It says put off the old self by putting this worldliness within you to death. And then he says, see to it. Which means make no provision for it. Some of you need to get in a city group because you need help putting these things to death. You need to let somebody into your life who knows you well enough to look you in the eye and say, put it to death. I mean, even the disciples, when they're... (laughs) Jesus is on his way to the cross and he takes them to the garden and he puts them right here next to a tree and he says, now listen, don't fall into temptation. I just need you to pray. And they couldn't do it. They fell asleep. Jesus comes back. Why are you sleeping? (laughs) I'm going to die. I mean, if Jake told me tomorrow, I'm going to die. I'm about to go die. Can you pray for me? I think I could stay awake. I'm just saying, I think I could stay awake. Not Peter. Right? You need help. This is I love that this is set in the context of the church. When you're told to put these things to death, over and over again, it talks in a plural sense. That you're to be with the people of God, pursuing God, putting sin to death. Because what does it say? It says, put all these things to death. And then verse 9, it says, don't lie to one another. It's assuming that you are around the people of God. And that if you're still doing these things, they're going to know you're lying to them. This is what it means to be the church, to be in community, to be pursuing God together. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. It's talking about that in community. When we call you at the end of a service or in communion to repent of your sin, we are doing that in the midst of the people of God. It's a beautiful picture. The family of God that he gave his life for. See to it. But what I love about Scripture is that it doesn't just leave you there. It doesn't just leave you there saying, Ugh, I'm a bad dude. Because we are. But then it gives us these eight things to put on. This, these eight badges to wear. These eight names to put on. And what I love is... Here it brings in again the multi-ethnic church and it tells us that as the multi-ethnic church we're renewed in the knowledge of Jesus and that when that happens there's these tags, these badges, these characteristics that we put on and that will give us great joy. Listen to what verse 10 says. So we've do not lie, put off the old self, verse 9, and its practices. Then verse 10, and have put on the new self. So it's not just Remembering the negative, but fixing your eyes on the positive. The things that God does have for you, verse 10. And put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew. Tell me the Bible is not relevant. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, 
But Christ is all and in all. Every person you come across, Democrat, Republican, Independent, gay, straight, black, white, brown. Do I need to keep going? Say, got it? But Christ is all and in all. Verse 12. Because of that, put on then as God's chosen ones. Some of you need your spirit lifted today. God, in his mercy and grace, looked out of heaven and handpicked you to be his child. There may be nobody else in the world that would ever pick you to be on anything, not even their kickball team. Anybody get picked last in kickball when they're in middle school? Wow. Right here. You didn't know it, but 30 years later, God had a word for you. Chosen ones. Listen to this. Listen to the description. So he says, put all these things to death, but here's what I see when I look at you. You're my chosen one, holy and beloved Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You butcher this text when you take it out of the church and make it just about your personal life. Can I just show you that? A lot of times we take these verses and it says, forgiving one another, I've got somebody I need to forgive. That's true, but what this text is talking about is these people. You're to know these people enough that you're going to step on each other's toes. The thing that drives me crazy about people leaving church more than anything else is this. If you just bail every time, I can't even do this with you. You're God's chosen one, holy and beloved. And, and we need each other to work on compassionate heart. I don't always feel compassionate for you. Amen? But I'm working on it. And when I come to your house and I see your life and I pray with you and we confess our sins to each other and you need help and I need help guess what we start to feel compassion for each other listen don't expect to feel compassion for the people out there if we never have to feel compassion for those of us in here put on compassion so let's list those out. Just like we, we list out and put to death these things, we list them out and we embrace the fact that we need these things. Number one, a compassionate heart. What that's talking about is an emotional mercy. The Bible says it this way about Jesus, that when he saw a crowd, he was moved with compassion. You ever been moved by something? Try to hide those tears. <laughs> Not crying. Just My eyes are sweating. Kindness. What is kindness? That this word kind of threw me a little bit. I, you know, kindness. I always thought was like, "Hey, how you doing? Hey, buddy, bless your heart." You know. 
What it's talking about is moral goodness. It's talking about integrity. Is the way you're treating people truly kind? It's not fake. Everybody wants something genuine these days. The Bible's been on genuine long before culture. Number three, humility. Oh, this is a great Greek word, by the way. You know what it means? It means a deep sense of my littleness. That's a good word. We need a deep sense of our littleness. I like to use, you know it, I like to use the Google Maps thing. You just find your location and start zooming out. You get a deep sense of your littleness. But why is that so great? Because God chose you in all of your littleness. God chose you. Number four, meekness, a gentle spirit, a mild disposition. Number five, long-suffering, endurance, suffering, just embracing that. Like Paul said, I just want want to suffer like Jesus. Number six, patience. Anybody ever tell you don't pray for patience unless you're ready? (laughs) God will give it to you. Patience means to endure. It also means be slow to avenge wrong. Be so quick to fight back. And number eight, the thing that binds all of them together is love. Affection. A genuine affection for the things of God and the people of God. It changes you. A genuine affection being around the people of God who are all different from you. That's what I love about that. That's why I love that this is brought into the context of a multi-ethnic church. I mean, why did he talk about that here? Because you need people that are different from you in your life. You do. You need people that don't always think like you. That don't always like what you like. Not only is it fun, but it's important for your spiritual growth. I do it when I buy resources to study the Bible. Buy books from other continents. (laughs) People who think different, who live different. Why? Because God didn't write the Bible to a bunch of middle-aged white people. He didn't. He wasn't even a middle-aged white guy. So sometimes we get in this bubble and we just only think like what we see in the mirror. And what the Bible constantly reminds us of is the church is broad and it's important. But here's what I love about this. What are the results of all those decisions? Putting these things to death. Putting on these things. What does that all result in? What do all those declarations over your life produce? Look at verse 14. It says, Above always put on love which binds everything together. Then verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You want to be less stressed? This is how. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart to which you indeed were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Some of you, the first time you came here, you didn't know Jesus yet and you said, well, you, man, you got to do a lot of singing. <laughs> Eric, you feel me? That's the first thing he said to me after he came to church. This is why, buddy. 
right here. It's biblical. Now you like it, then. Singing psalms, thankfulness. What is your life characterized by? And whatever you do, in word, not anything you want, of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Don't you know that it would be just like God to the gospel? of things you need to put to death. Here's this list of things that you need to be characterized by. And just when you're feeling like it's too much or too heavy, it says, whatever you do, <laughs> if you just do it in the name of Jesus and with thankfulness in your heart, it's going to happen. Not anything you want to happen, that list of things that you ought to be about. If you'll just fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter and finisher of your faith, Give thanks to God through Him. Those things are going to fall in place.